This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Before we get going with today's podcast, I want to remind you about a great opportunity to learn football at Lawrence First and Goal Coaches Clinic. The clinic is to benefit pediatric brain tumor research as well as cancer services. And the lineup, as I mentioned, is an incredible one 160 speakers. And right now, you can get the ticket to that clinic $49 for an individual. for a staff of five, so $30 a coach there, but you need to act now. That expires once it hits 2021 here, midnight on Friday. Again, check it out at lfgf.coachesclinic.com. Joining me is Drew Lieberman, Coach Liebs, on Twitter somewhere. Yes, sir. And you know him as at Sideline Hustle, the Sideline Hustle. So you've been doing a great job with the sideline hustle. We have you doing some articles for us. So mm-hmm. every week now coaches see coaching the receiver, uh, the different things that you talk about there. And I just love the detail that you put into it with both the writing side of it as well as the videos that yeah. you provide. But for our listeners, um, tell them a little bit about your background. You know, yeah. you, you were a college coach, you coached some mm-hmm. high school ball. And I guess what led you to the sideline yeah, hustle? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, appreciate you having me on, first of all, and, and all the work we've done together. Um, but so I, I went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut, which is actually where Bill Belichick and Eric Mangini went to school. Uh, got hurt, like played quarterback, blew up my shoulder as a sophomore, and then just kind of started coaching. Like wanted to be involved in the program, started helping out the young quarterbacks. And like with just having such a big coaching legacy there with Belichick and Mangini, just started to pursue some things as an undergrad. Ended up being the full-time quarterbacks coach there my senior year, which was an awesome experience. Um, then coached at Albany for a year right out of college uh, for legendary coach Bob Ford, his last year before retirement. Then I was at Rutgers for three years um, as the assistant receivers coach and a GA for, for two of those years. Um, and then, you know, was, was at Rutgers, like learned a ton, was, was really blessed to be around some, some really great coaches. Uh, Anthony Campanelli, who's now the D-backs coach at Michigan, is one of the best coaches I ever met. And uh, Josh McDaniels' younger brother, Ben McDaniels. Those are two of like my mentors. And of course, Ralph Friedgen, um was my boss. He was the coordinator I worked for. So they just taught me so many great things, but I didn't love the lifestyle of sleeping under my desk and working 18 <laughs> hours. So I was like, you know, there's got to be another way to, to kind of share my knowledge, share all this expertise that I've learned with the world and still stay involved in football. So I left Rutgers, uh, went back to Wesleyan to get my master's degree, 
And you know, what started as I thought was gonna be a book turned into a podcast and now has become like a bigger media company where, you know, like I said, I'm just sharing everything I've learned through videos, through these articles, through a podcast, and just trying to create content every single day that no one else is really creating. And it's been, it's been a great process and it's taken off the last 18 months. Yeah, and I love the way you put your videos together. They are, uh, they're very engaging. Just the, the way you blend, not just the coaching points, but yeah. you have some of the music, music in there too. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a great way to learn. I, I don't know if the, the older coaches right. appreciate it as much, but I could definitely see that type of uh, content catching on with, yeah. with the younger coaches too. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It's definitely been, the biggest market has definitely been the players. Like, the players love it because I think that there's so many kids, like, the thing that I realized shortly was there's so, there's, a, there's so many kids in Idaho or New Mexico or all these random states where in the offseason they have no tools to train with. You know, if you're in a Texas or a Florida or New Jersey, like, there's a lot of trainers, a lot of people doing football, but in a lot of states where football is not as big, like, they have no resources in the offseason. So that's, like, the first thing that we try to be at Sideline Hustle is that resource for these players that are underserved. Um, and then the coaches kind of come, come second. But I think that a lot of the content with, with the music and, and some of the effects is, is geared for the players. I want to start to create some longer form content that's a little bit, that's a little bit more intricate for the coaches and, and kind of focus on that market a little bit more. Well, I think the detail that you do put into the videos, and, and, and a lot of times, honestly, yeah. like I'll be watching and you know my phone's not on. Uh, the volume's not on, but the, right. the video's great, and yeah. you have the you know the graphics on there that right. are explaining the coaching point, and uh, honestly, just a ton of, of detail, detail yeah. that you put into those things. Um, I know it takes you a lot of time and a lot of thought to put it together, but uh, I, I really see as you start to build some of this on your YouTube channel. I actually see a lot of your stuff on LinkedIn. That's right? Yeah, LinkedIn's out. been big. Uh, you know, what what uh, direction are you going with this? Because uh, I mean, I I, I do see. You know, something with what you're doing, the detail you put into it, that could yeah. be a great resource for coaches as well. Yeah, I, I think I want to try to cover everything. I mean, like, I was lucky enough to learn from, you know, like I said, those two guys at Rutgers, where I don't, the only way I learned how to coach receivers was with a ton of detail. And I think that receivers are one of the most undercoached positions in football. I think a lot of guys just want you to be an athlete or get open or get out of your break faster, all these vague terms that don't really help a kid actually do that. Um, so so I, I just want to continue to create content that, that – that is covering every aspect of wide receiver play. And I think we want to do it in every single way we can. We make these one minute videos for Instagram and Twitter. We started to do these wide receiver film room breakdowns, which are like 15 to 20 minute videos of like single games in the NFL. Um, did one on Julian Edelman that did really well on YouTube. Did one on Mohamed Sanu recently. Uh, Devontae Adams will be up next. Um, we're just trying to mess with different forms of content, whether it be long form content on YouTube and LinkedIn or short form content on social media. Um, I think we want to continue to build out the receiver market, but then also find uh, some people to join the team and break down other positions with that same detail um, and just continue to, again, just provide resources to people in, in the mediums that they're consuming content, which is, you know, social media, YouTube, all those things, and, and kind of stay with the times that way. Absolutely. Well, let's talk receiver development. Absolutely. Uh, again, I think you do a great job with this. Uh, I first became uh, aware of you and the stuff you were doing when you were at Wesleyan, yep. and you were the receivers coach there and uh, working with Matt Coyne, who, yep. who worked with me at Oberlin College. Um, what do you see in, in wide receiver play in general? You know, the guys that are coming to you, the kids you work with, um, even some of the things you watch out there. What aspects do you see really undercoached right now and, right. and where guys can, you know, guys who are receiver coaches or the players out there, yeah. 
can really do a few things to make a huge difference in their performance on game day? To me, like people ask me all the time, what makes a great route runner? And to me, like the definition of a great route runner is someone who can adjust their route to whatever coverage is in front of them. And you know, you might run a, a post route versus four or five different coverages. Looks like a completely different route, takes four or five different techniques. But those are the things that I feel like are, are not talked about enough. Like you'll see on Instagram all these flashy cone drills and these guys trying to snap down really hard and use all these pressure steps that look really cool, but they don't really show up in a game very often. The best receivers in the NFL, you know, aside from Julio Jones, aren't the physically most gifted specimens. They're the guys who are able to diagnose the defense and make these little adjustments with their technique to to adjust their route, you know, appropriately to the coverage. So that's something that I try to, I try to teach them like a system that starts with your understanding of the game, understand what the goal of this route is first, you know, where is the void that you're trying to get to and get open to, and then in this situation, here's how your technique changes. In this situation, here's, you know, two or three plans to beat inside leverage press, but now your plan has to change if you see a safety over the top or if you see, you know, if he moves to outside leverage press. And, and I just think trying to help these kids develop plans, you know, I think a lot of receivers go up to the line of scrimmage and they're just guessing. They're just running routes that, that were drawn up in the playbook and don't know what to do versus an inside they're leverage. Out, they're corner out there running lines. Right, they're just running. Yeah. Right. Ben McDaniels was just saying, don't, don't run paper routes. I mean, don't right. run what they look like on paper. But the route, like a comeback, never looks like a straight line and then down to the 45. There's always some nuance to it, a stem here or, or, or a hard release inside, whatever it is. Um, so I think trying to just l- allow them to learn the overall picture and, and, and teach them techniques that they're able to transfer to their game and, and say, hey, I'm, I'm learning this technique because it applies in this specific situation. I send your videos to my son all the time. He's a awesome. sophomore right now, just finished you know, this, this past year, sophomore JV season of football. And you know, he's, he, he loves to learn the, the technique. Yeah. You know? yeah, he's yeah. always been a guy interested in that kind of stuff, working and stuff, watching film. Uh, so it's been helpful to him. Uh, I know a, a lot of the things in, in looking at what you do, you focus especially as you get into the stem and into different parts of routes and getting in the blind spot. Yes, absolutely. And uh, honestly, prior to you, I had not seen that in coaching materials at least emphasized yeah. a whole lot. Talk to us about the blind spot and how that really is an advantage to a receiver who understands how to get there. 100%. So a- anytime a, a defender's zone turns towards the quarterback, and he's giving you like a near hip, that's his blind spot. If you chase his near hip and get right into that little hip pocket where, where he can't see you, just like if you're driving a car, you have a blind spot you know, right behind that mirror where it doesn't see you. Want, anytime he gives you that near hip, you want to take the blind spot every single time, no matter what the route is. And, and what you want to do as a receiver is if, let's say you, you're playing a team that plays a lot of cover three, so there's zone turning a lot, playing loose coverage, giving you the blind spot. You want to make a vertical route where you're going to get on his toes and shave his shoulder and run by him, or and a comeback where you're going to get into his blind spot and then break down, or maybe even an in-breaking route, you want to make all those feel the same. That way the DB has no time to react, has no idea what's coming, and, and to do that, it's getting into that blind spot every single time, being religious about it. It's got to become second nature that you see a near hip, you chase it, you get in his blind spot, it's second nature, it's non-negotiable, and then from there, you're going to break in his blind spot, and, and as a receiver, like well, I think what kids don't understand is you always have the advantage as a receiver. You know where you're going and the DB doesn't, like just very, very simply. So you always have the advantage. You'll never lose that advantage if you do little things like attack their blind spot every time, get on their toes. Like, you know, if, if you do some of these conceptual things, he can't possibly react in time when, when you have the advantage of already know where, where you're going. Right. And it, it's something you said before. You don't have to be that physical specimen. You, you, don't. you don't have to be that guy no. who's, uh, you know, running a 4-3. Right. to be able to do these things. As long there's, as you understand a, those concepts. Right. There's a lot of guys you point out in your videos who are playing at a very high level in the NFL who are not those the first specimens. The first two guys I just did the wide receiver film rooms on, Julian Edelman, who if you watch his game in the Super Bowl, 
did nothing fancy. All he did was diagnose the defense and get himself into the void of the defense, and Brady knew where to find him. That, they, the entire game was his understanding of coverage. And the next guy I did was Mohamed Sanu, who's been a seven-year veteran in the NFL, has become one of the most reliable number two receivers, but isn't the fastest guy, isn't the biggest guy. Nothing about his game is fancy, but he knows how to get himself open by using these techniques and, and, and breaking down the defense in an appropriate way. And like to me, it's, it's always just, you know, what's the defense? And then now you have a toolbox of trained techniques that you've practiced over and over. And now you have to learn when do you apply those to the situation in front of you. When we're looking at something, we'll stay focused on the blind spot here. Uh, your favorite ways to train that concept yeah. in players, what, what do you like in terms of a drill progression from taking that guy who's never heard of right. blind spot before, never been coached on it, right. to um, taking him from zero to being an advanced level player? I now. think the, the, mo the simplest drill I've ever seen was uh, from P.J. Fleck, who was at Rutgers before me and has been a, a guy who I've learned a lot of the system from. Um, and the simplest thing he ever did was he would start in a like a press position. He'd play press bail coverage and start bailing, zone turning towards the quarterback. And he had a cone in his hip, in, literally in his hip pocket, so that the receivers would would get used to their running. They see the they see that near hip, and now they're getting their eyes on that cone on their target. So it's tracking. Just to track yeah. it, because you got to track that near hip. If the DB widens, you need to widen your path as well to stay in that blind spot. So literally just the the concept of getting your eyes on his near hip right away and then adjusting your stem to the DB to stay in that blind spot. If he widens and you stay inside of him, well, now he can see you. You don't have the advantage of, of being in the blind spot. Um, so that's like the most simple thing. And then, you know, as you progress, like a good corner is going to try to stay square as long as possible. So you, you want to get on his toes and, and give him a pressure step at the top. Like if you're running a curl route, you know, you might give him a post stem to get him to flip his hips and open up to the post. And now when he flips his hips, he gives you that blind spot and you can break right into it. Vice versa for a comeback or a dig. You start to mess with pressure steps or change of speeds. You put the defenders in what I call, you know, oh, oh shoot mode, <laughs> right? Or, and, or chase mode where, right. where you get him, where now he's in, he, 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 you give him something to get him off balance and make him feel unsure. And now you have full control because he's reacting to you and he feels uncomfortable. And now you can play with him and, and kind of keep him on a string. So the more you learn how to change speeds and get into certain leverages, you can get them to open their hips. And, and again, you always have control, so you're just trying to manipulate him throughout the route. And, and a lot of that you show is on the outside. Let's translate to some of the breaks for the inside guys. Yeah. Um, what kinds of things are you teaching there on the, for yeah, the inside so, guys? Yeah, so to me, I think it, the inside, the outside, I, I teach a lot of the routes by steps. So, you know, a 12-yard curl is a tight break on your third inside step. A 14-yard comeback is a tight break on your fourth outside step. So you can kind of, it, it's, it's kind of more easier to teach on steps. In the slot, it's more about matchups. It's more about the concept of attacking the defender's leverage over you. If he's inside leverage, we want to attack him inside, understanding that a defender is going to align inside or outside of you for a reason to protect that area of the field. So the first thing you want to do is attack that area, make him feel uncomfortable, and then close the space and get on his toes. Like I think a lot of slot receivers, they see a, a defender standing at six yards and they cut their route short to four yards because they don't want to make contact. But now you're giving the defender a two-yard buffer to react and make a play on the ball. If you close the space and you're right on his toes when you make that break, he has no time to react. Um, so I think attacking leverage, you know, closing the space, getting on their toes, and, and, then, and then it's just learning how to pair these routes together, how to make an inside stem and then a stick route where you're breaking out look the same as when you're going to win inside and run a dig route for the first five yards. And mm -hmm. I think that's the true art of something that, like, an Edelman does really well is he'll stem a DB the same way on every single route so that he has no idea how to react. Um, but I think it's much more of a kind of conceptual understanding of how to find voids in the defense in the slot, whereas the outside is much more of, like, practicing specific footwork patterns. Right. Um, I, I think you have to be a little bit more fluid in the slot, a little bit more reactionary in the slot. 
Um, and it takes just a little bit more understanding of the defense, not so much set in stone. Because a lot of moving parts. You know, you could have a safety roll down over you. You could have a linebacker bump out. The, that linebacker could pressure, and now the safety comes down. The picture is generally a little bit more clearer on the outside, and it's a little bit easier to teach some concrete concepts out there. Absolutely. I know uh, you focus a lot on winning at the line of scrimmage. So mm -hmm. you see a lot of your outside guys especially yeah. um, with that press type of coverage. Yeah. You'll see that now a lot, you know, with the quarters coverage today or yep. that guy who's singled up on his own as a way to disrupt him, that he's going to get press and they're right. going to cross key number three on the other side. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's definitely worth spending the time. You don't, again, have to have that necessarily always that dominant guy right. as your single. Right. As if you have a guy who knows how to win. And 100%. I know you talk a lot about the short arm yeah. uh, in, in technique. So yeah. talk to us so, about the so short this arm. Is a tough, this has been a tough concept for people to grasp. And... Uh, so what the short arm is, is it starts with attacking leverage. If he's aligned inside leverage, again, he's there for a reason. He wants to protect the inside, so attack that area and, and make him panic. So it, but the area, you, the area you want to aim at is his short arm, where you, if you aim right up his crotch, right up the middle of him, that's not going to move him. That's not going to make him uncomfortable. Aim another yard or two further inside to move him inside. So that, the short arm is that area, one to two yards further inside. If he's outside leverage, same concept applies. Now you want to attack his outside short arm, aim a yard or two beyond his alignment outside. That's going to get him into panic mode. And then basically you have two plans. If you, if you attack short arm and make him move his feet first, he has to declare his technique. Is he going to jump outside to cut you off? Well, if he does, it's clear. You stick your foot in the ground, you win inside. Or is he going to stay patient and now play you inside out? By taking that wide landmark, you force him to declare. So if he stays inside, now you can just win back outside. But it clears the picture up to the receiver of understanding how the DB wants to play you by making him move his feet first. I think what a lot of guys do is, is they kind of aim right up the middle of a defender. He doesn't move one way or another, and they're stuck in no man's land. They don't know what to do next. Make him move his feet first, attack short arm, and then you have all the control from there. Once you get him to move, you have a plan off that. If he jumps outside, I went inside vice versa, but, but you can control things once you make him uncomfortable by moving his feet first and foremost. And the great part about that technique is you can practice that you in can. isolation uh, without the stem, without exactly. the other things you're going to do. So talk to us about your drill progression. So similar that. drill uh, to the near hip I, uh, that I got from PJ Fleck was he, he'll stand inside leverage and stand with a cone in his inside hand stretched out about one to two yards and giving them that aiming point like a bright orange cone, that's where I want you to aim to. Um, and then, you know, some of the techniques with press coverage, like you want to, you know, I use what I call half steps if it's really close, tight, tight press coverage, quick steps, where you're, you're going to lead with your back foot first, but your back foot doesn't cross your front foot. And you're taking these little quick steps, always keeping your feet staggered. You want to maintain a powerful position, keep your feet staggered so that then when you do run vertically, you, that next step can be directly vertical. You can shave his shoulder. So there's some of those little nuances in terms of like what the footwork patterns are. Do I want to use two quicks? Do I want to use four quicks? What situations do those show up? But the concept of attacking short arm and eating up space too. A lot of guys don't like to move at the line of scrimmage. They take these pitter-patter steps and stay in one place. All you're allowing the DB to do is just get comfortable and, and maintain space and maintain position. If you run right at him and attack him vertically, that gets him on his heels and again, gives you control. The thing that receivers don't want to do is relinquish the control that they start every route with because you know where you're going. So if you're aggressive, you're always in attack mode, the DB's always on his heels, and then you can win when it's, when it's appropriate to win. Um, but, but attacking short arm and then just learning kind of, I, I try not to give guys like these specific release techniques to memorize. Right. It, it's more the concept. Did you, did you attack him in the right place? Did you eat up space? You know, did you do some of these overall concepts that, that we talk about? And then I'll coach up the footwork and what those, those nuances can be on film. But, but I want to make sure they understand what their plan is built around, which is around those, those core concepts. Right, and it, it's, it's a little bit of a different approach than I think you see in, in a lot of places, in a yeah. lot of 
systems, the guys are teaching their offense, that they might teach one or two specific, specific releases, releases right. that don't necessarily address all the nuances of what 100%. that defensive back is going to do. And you see those guys now, I mean, they're doing a lot to disguise that coverage. Yep. They're doing a lot to take away your advantage exactly. where you can't just prescribe that this is what it is, that you need those guys to be able to diagnose. And, and I know one of uh, my favorite articles of the first one you gave us was, you know, your pre-snap routine. Yeah. So, yeah, something I talk about a lot is, is the coverage triangle. And I think, uh, I think a lot of receivers coaches spend time trying to teach receivers you know, full coverage shells. Like, this is what the whole defense looks like. And, and there's not really a point in the game where the receiver ever needs to know what's happening on the opposite side of the field. So I tell them to look at their coverage triangle, which is the cornerback, the linebacker, and the safety closest to them. Those three guys form a triangle. And their relationship will all, often give you indicators as to what the coverage is going to be. If it's a two-eye coverage, you can't tell if it's quarters or cover two. Well, look at, look at the safety. You know, if he needs to play a deep half player, he's got to start to widen and get outside the hash at some point before the snap for him to get over the top of number one. That linebacker inside, if he's going to be a flat defender in quarters, he better start to get pretty wide and, and so he can go out there and buzz outside of number one. You know, it, it, the, a lot of those indicators will show up now if he's trying to play in the middle of two and, and four, but he's going to be a hook-to-curl player. He's going to start to creep inside now and, and play with inside leverage. Um, so some of those little indicators can help you. I think you, what you don't want to get caught up in is looking at corners. Corners can lie to you. Yep. Corners can play cover two from inside leverage and then jump outside. They, they can give you a lot of stuff that's going to lie to you, but that safety is going to give you all the answers, and then if he's a little bit confusing, look at the leverage of the linebacker, and that guy should, should really tell you what it's going to be before the ball is snapped. But you never need to know, is it cover four, is it cover six, is it cover two? You need to know what's happening on your half right. of the field. And especially for outside guys, really all you need to know is it press or is it going to be loose or cover two because of your conversions. You know, a lot of routes convert versus press or two and then stay on versus loose. Like, a lot of times that's all you need to know on the outside just to know is this route staying on or, or is it not. That's, I think, something that's, that's key. Um, I would teach it all the time, coaching quarterbacks. Yeah. Just indicators. Exactly. Know, I talked about the, the coverage indicators for them. And, and most of the time with the, the teams we would play, it was the boundary safety. We'd yep. be telling us everything on every yep. play. And we that's would, what Ralph Friedgen always used to say, that the boundary safety holds the keys to the test. Yeah, and, and we would just false cadence him yep. all the time, yep. do things to get him to show what he was going to do. So then – and then gave the tools to the quarterback mm -hmm. to make those adjustments. I found in, and I don't know, this goes into, you're a, you're a technique guy, I love what you're doing, this goes into scheme a little bit, but um, as I found in, in running you know, the no huddle offense, yeah. that we were best when I made those checks stay on the field with the quarterback, because as soon as he did this, they, they could change, exactly, that. right, right. They were, they were changing right. and come back to something different, and now he has to get his indicator and do it again. all over again yeah. whereas he could make a few calls or hand signals change whatever you know usually it was he could change one guy in a route if he needed to yep. and attack that yep. or potentially shift his protection and i would put that all in his hands um the older guys at least yeah, yeah. we had some sophomores that we'd still kind of put that on the center but we always felt good then that that guy you know knew where he was going to see his window in the in mm -hmm. the protection and uh, I tell them all the time, like, I'm trying to turn this into a seven-on-seven seven for you. So if you know these guys are sliding this way and yep. this guy's that way, you got a nice window. Let's make sure we're bringing routes into it. So um, from a, a, a scheme perspective, you know, what are your some of your favorite things? I know you had a, a lot of input into the offense at Wesleyan when yeah. you were there. I mean, my, my biggest thing is to keep it simple, especially like, so I've run the last two years at, at Wesleyan and then at Don Bosco Prep this past year. We've run a, a, a bit of like a spread RPO system. 
And my biggest thing in systems like that is just to take what the defense gives you. Like I, I'm the biggest fan of throwing a hitch versus loose coverage. Yeah. And so many like Division three high school systems, they give you that all game. But coaches like try to get too cute and do all this other stuff. Like if you can put your best receiver into the boundary and throw him a hitch over and over and over, and you can get that guy to, to draw two defenders. Like we had a kid who was an All-American at Wesleyan. We would throw him loose coverage, you know, hitches, outs, yeah, slants, I remember seeing him over and over. Yeah. And then eventually it forced teams to play cover two. And now you've taken, as, as from a scheme perspective, you've taken control of the full game. When you're forcing the defense to take two or three guys to cover one guy, well now you've got three receivers to the field in a three by one formation that are that, that have a numbers advantage. Or now you have a two high shell and only have six guys in the box and you can run the ball because that boundary receiver has seven catches on hitches and is picking up a first down every time they have to do something to take it away, just on something simple. Um, so that that's something you know I've 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 been a big fan of is kind of if you have that stud boundary receiver, just give him these quick, easy, easy passes and let him do work with the ball in his hand. And then that will often, unless unless the team is willing to play him one on one for the entire game, that's often going to force their hand to make some major coverage adjustment that then you can react off of and start throwing it back to the field and start getting other guys involved. Kind of working backwards how I usually do this podcast. We kind of talk usually beginning, you know, philosophy and yeah. how do you build your culture in it, and then we get into scheme and then into technique and. We've gone the opposite today, which is fine. Um, I think with any position group, there's certainly the culture of your team, but then there's yeah. the culture of the position. In coaching receivers, what were the, the pillars of that culture that you need out of your guys for them to win on the field? Yeah. I'm not saying you're taking away from the team culture because those guys are aligned with that, but you have to have kind of your subset, your subculture Absolutely. within your Absolutely. room. What what kind of things do you so believe in? So the, the things that we've always been built on is, is the receivers that play for me are always going to take pride in being the toughest guys in the field and the hardest working guys in the field. And once we set that expectation, I, I was at Wesleyan my first year, and I kind of looked around the room and I was like, wow, we have so much talent here, like an unbelievable amount of talent. But they didn't have anything to believe in. It's you know a D3 school where you kind of had GAs who were their coaches. They had a, re a revolving door of coaches. So they didn't have like an identity or something to to empower themselves with. So I got there and I was like, guys, this is wide receiver you. And like you know, I was a little cocky, but I wanted to give them something to rally around and give them something to, to build confidence. And I was like, but if we're gonna call ourselves that, so they they change it to Dub RU, and that's kind of what like anyone I've coached is kind of the family we've built is Dub RU. Um, but if you're going to call yourselves that, you better you know, come to work every day and live up to that expectation. If you're going to have the audacity to come say, hey, we're wide receiver you, you better work like that, you better train like that, you better be a leader like that, and let, let's set the highest ex expectation possible, and you know, that's going to make a lot of people angry. Like Even people on, on our team were upset, like, who, who are you to come in here and call yourselves WRU? <laughs> but I just wanted to give them something to rally around and set the expectation so high that they had to challenge themselves to meet that every day. And there was a, a period in, in an offseason where I just wasn't happy with their effort, with their consistency in the workouts. And I was like, I don't want to hear you guys call yourselves WRU again, like until we've earned it. But I think setting that expectation so high, giving them, like, you know, every kid from a, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old perspective, they love to have that label of, hey, we're wide receiver U. So I think it was something the kids really bought into, but then it really set the tone of, all right, like, we're going to call ourselves the best. Let's work like that every single day. Um, and I think the first thing is, is just toughness. And, and to me, what I've always told them, toughness is, the definition of toughness is showing up every day with, with a great attitude and with great effort and, and having the consistency to do that every single day, to be accountable to your teammates. I use the, the, the Theodore Roosevelt uh, man in the arena speech a lot where, right, like, it's like on my you, desk. yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. It's in the, it's the first page of my receiver manual and you're going to show up every day and you're going to fight with your teammates in the arena. I don't care if you drop the ball. I don't care if you run the wrong route. Like I will, 
I'll count on myself to get you right and, and coach you up, but you better show up every day with maximum effort and, and, and be the toughest guy on the field. Like that's, that's non-negotiable. And then from there, you can build the blocks of everything else. I think once you buy into being the toughest, the most committed group, then you can put pressure on yourselves to, hey, we're gonna learn every nuance of every route. We're gonna study every ounce of film we can because everything you do is working at that level of, I wanna go out on, on Friday or Saturday nights, call myself WRU. Well, then I better live up to that, you know, Monday through Thursday in practice. Absolutely. I know you get some neat opportunities now with, yeah. with what you're doing, and I, I applaud you. You appreciate it. You made a, a leap of faith yeah. into into this, and I know um, you're starting to see this pay off, and you're getting the following you want. You've been to some some neat places here. Absolutely. I know you were at Senior Bowl, you're yeah. at Super Bowl. Yep. You're here now at USA Football's National yeah. Conference. Um, what have been some of the great things you've picked up just this off season that? you know, you see you're going to work on and, and, and develop into some of the things that yeah. you're doing. So, so the biggest thing for me, like, you know, I was a football coach for eight years before I started Sideline Hustle, really for, for seven years. This will be, next year will be my ninth year. But so, like, the football part of it kind of comes easy. Like, at this point, I've, I've been blessed to learn from some great teachers. I've, I've had my own room now for five years. So, like, as far as the technique and, and the, the kind of the core concepts I want to teach, like, I feel comfortable with that. The thing I'm learning now is the business, the business development, uh, you know, how do I grow my personal brand? How do I make the content better? Like, it's all those things that, like, I, I taught myself how to make these videos by watching YouTube. Mm -hmm. I produce my own podcast. I taught myself just by watching YouTube videos. So, like, every day is a learning process for me for the business development side and kind of the technical aspects of how to improve the content. Um, I was down, Nike flew me down to the Super Bowl in Atlanta, and I was around some really awesome, like, YouTube content creators. There's, there's uh, a couple kids that have, like, a million subscribers on YouTube. And the biggest thing I learned there was that they are the face of their brands, that, you know, like, what I've learned is that Drew Lieberman needs to be more of the face of Sideline Hustle rather than this brand. Like, I don't want to be ESPN where, you know, it's this brand known for sports, for, for you know, wide receiver technique or, or football technique. I want to make myself, I want to get people to buy into to my personality, my coaching style, and then kind of build it out from there because I think that's the most successful way to just, just grow the brand and become a more marketable asset as far as like trying to find sponsorships, trying to find brand deals. I think if it starts with me first, and there's not a lot of coaches branding themselves that way, so I think it's a really unique opportunity for me to stand out. Um, I, think, I think the content is really good and the following is there. We have a super engaged audience, but I think, they, I think people need like a face to rally around and not just a logo. And, and right. I, that's a big focus for me this off season is getting myself out there more. And, and you are uh, attuned to the, the branding side of these, the things and seeing more and more that that's an important aspect of building a football program. Taking yeah, away from a personal absolutely. brand and talking about yeah. building the brand of the, the program. Re what recommendations do you have for coaches out there to help them you know, brand their program. We hear about coaches all the yeah. time in their community, you know, losing numbers. I think branding's not the only answer, but I think right. it's something that can help if coaches know how to brand Absolutely. their program and, and take advantage of what's going on in, in the social media yeah. world. What uh, advice The, the do biggest you thing you just touched on, double down on social media. I, I think even now, even though social media, people feel like it's taken off, like you don't see a lot of, you don't see a lot of individual coaches with great Instagram pages. A lot of them are still stuck on Twitter. You don't see guys like, even though the Snapchat phase is kind of come and gone, it's not as big with the kids now, but like you didn't really see a lot of coaches taking advantage of Snapchat. Like to me, you want to be an innovator in every new platform that comes out, find a way to produce content native to that platform. So find a way, if I'm a football program, find a way to come out with a weekly 10 minute vlog. Even if you're in Alabama, you should come out with a daily 10 minute vlog on YouTube. Document your day of the training process, of the coaching process every single day. Give fans an inside look. And then find, you know, find creative ways to create one-minute content on Instagram, on Twitter, you know, in this short-form style. But it can't a lot, what a lot of guys try to do is just create 
one piece of content and put it out on all platforms. But you know, Twitter versus Instagram versus YouTube is like the radio versus print versus television. Like you can't right. put a radio ad on television and expect it to do well. You have to make content that's contextual to the platform. And I still don't think that really, aside from like the top, top programs like in Alabama who have, you know, they had the training day series, they had all this stuff, like a lot of the high school, division three, division two programs, they aren't, they aren't branding themselves native to each platform and they're not doing enough. I think you should have a whole team of social media guys. Right. You know, like you don't need, you don't like, you don't need to have a radio show anymore. Develop a podcast. Like why are you limiting yourself to a, a regional audience that, that people can only listen to at a certain time? Why wouldn't you have a podcast that anyone around the country can download yeah. that can be downloaded at any point, but you don't, but there's not a lot of coaches with podcasts. No. You know and I, mean? I think it, it'd be good just for an athletic program, yeah, 100%. You know, your football program to 100%. share those things. People want to hear what's going on. I think, Today you got to be transparent with everything uh, you're doing, absolutely. and this is a great way to let everybody know about what's going on in your program. Yeah. You know, I was just talking with uh, Ryan McCartney, who runs Swarm Football Chat here, and he, he, you know, made a point that you know, make sure on, on, uh, you know, your your parent meeting day that you're sharing everything you do with, uh, you know, what you're doing to promote player safety right. and those kinds of things. And you know, I said, you know, you got to take advantage of the platforms right. out there as well that you got to harness technology. Uh, Mark Solis, who's going to be here, Mark's been on the podcast several times, a uh, coach at Olentangy High School in Ohio near mm-hmm. Columbus, has a student team who does all the social media. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. They put that's it cool. together. I, like and I know you, you have to, uh, you got to train those guys up. Yeah. you got to make sure they're putting the right things out there and monitoring a little bit. But, right. I, you know, when I think of, again, how the game has advanced, when you think about how did we used to involve students before, they were the ball boys, the water yeah, boys, yeah. they were team managers, yeah. you know, they were picking up stuff. Where now you can harness some of the the, uh, the knowledge that these kids 100%. have. You said, I'm at the yeah, Super Bowl yeah. with kids who have YouTube. Channel. Exactly, right. Like, they're out there. Those kids are in your school. 100%. Give them a direction, you know, just like we do with our football players. You know, those guys could go a bad direction right, with right, what right, they're doing right, on social 100%. media. 100%. Let them do something positive. And, and the thing is, they... You know this. They could turn it into a career. Uh, uh, that, the big that, programs now are hiring yes. those positions. Exactly. And, and I think a lot of coaches, too, use the excuse of, like, oh, I'm too old for social media. I don't understand it. Or our market's not there. They, they find these excuses not to use it. But, like, even if you yourself as, you know, an older head coach don't understand it, find a group of kids that you can entrust and empower to run it for you. Like, the, you can't nowadays not have a presence on social media. Right. I even look at the way it's, uh, it's affected, like, my training business. I train receivers. And, and just from putting out all this incredible content about receivers, I have so much dem- more demand than I can possibly deal with for kids who want to come work for me. It would be the same effect with a, a program that if you, if you are known as the, you know, if Kansas State football is known as the program that puts out the best receiver content, you're telling me that more high-level receivers aren't going to want to go play there. Right. And if you do that for each position in your building, if, you, you know, if you're a D3 program and you get each coach to post daily on their position and prove their expertise and show their passion for, for, the, for the sport, you're telling me that more kids aren't going to want to play for them. But the problem is they're still putting out newsletters on email, which kids right. don't open. They're still on these radio <laughs> parents shows. Don't open right, parents don't open either. <laughs> like, I don't think that coaches have caught up fast enough to what the times are. Like, kids spend, you know, half their day on Instagram and on YouTube. If you have a presence there, they're gonna, your brand is going to be elevated in their minds, and, and you're going to increase awareness. Um, I, you know, I just think it's going to take some time for guys to catch up to that. Yeah, it's, it's harnessing the people around you. Yeah. You, know, you, you do have the resources at your school. You do. You know, whether it's the students, they, they might be guys on your team who want right. to do that, though I don't know you'd want to get guys involved in season on doing too much of that. Right. But uh, you have to take advantage. And I think it's, it's a tool you can use to build your program, Absolutely. certainly, today. Absolutely. Well, Drew, it was great catching up with you here. I'm no going to let you get around and see some things here. What are you looking forward to uh, to seeing here at National Conference? Just ex- excited to, to network with some coaches. I didn't make it to the coaches' convention this year because um, I was actually out in Colorado training Juwan Winfrey, a kid from Colorado, for, uh, for the NFL draft. 
So I haven't been around, you know, a lot of coaches in a while. I was just excited to network and excited to see some of the, the newest products and, and see the innovations, you know, in, you know, in the exhibit hall and, and all that stuff. Um, well, just, you know, excited to be in, in the warm weather, too, especially. Yeah, that's always <laughs> good. It's great to have you here. I'm glad you made it down uh, for our listeners out there so uh, they can follow you on, on your different uh, social channels. Give yeah, them your content. Yeah, so, uh, so on Instagram's our biggest platform, and then Twitter, at Sideline Hustle. Um, Instagram has all of our content each day, and then Twitter is where I'm having a lot of conversations with people in live time. And then the YouTube channel has really been blowing up recently, and I'm, I'm creating a lot more uh, long-form content, like 15, 20-minute NFL breakdowns, also uh, showing you guys some of my NFL training sessions with the, the NFL receivers yeah, I train. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah, like narrating that and providing coaching points just so you guys can just take those drills and apply it to your game, or if you're a coach, add that to your to your routine. So, so uh, on YouTube, just search the Sideline Hustle, and then Instagram and Twitter, at Sideline Hustle. Those are the best places to find us. Awesome. Well, it's great having you here, Drew. And uh, can't wait to uh, read your next article. I appreciate it. Coming that. out every Friday. So no doubt. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks, bro. Yep. Thank you for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Be sure to get your ticket to Lawrence First and Goal Coaches Clinic at lfgf.coachesclinic.com. Remember to save money by getting the early bird ticket, $49 for the individual, $150 for staff of five get together five of your coaching friends and save some money there as well again it supports a great cause follow me on twitter at coach k grabowski and find our show notes articles and more at coach and coordinator.com